What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a special episode of SMA Presents The Lounge. My name is Dr. Alduin Samar, a.k.a. White Coat Poppy, a.k.a. Rich and Doc BX. And today we have here Dr. Anita Luanga to talk about the importance of research projects in helping individuals match into residency, fellowship, and obtain academic jobs, as well as how to get involved in research as a medical student or resident. Dr. Anita Luanga is an exercise physiologist, general internist, and geriatrician that works at the Saskatchewan Health Region in Canada. Sorry if I butchered that. Sorry, Canada. Don't hate me. All the folks in Canada, I tried my best. She attended St. Matthews University School of Medicine, did her internship and residency at Sinai in Chicago, and did a fellowship at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She helps her patients improve their health by optimizing their diet, exercise, and medications. Dr. Luanga's mission is to provide compassionate and holistic care to the community she serves. So without further ado, we are gracefully and excited to have you on this podcast, Dr. Luanga. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here and gracing us. So uh, let's backtrack a little bit. Um, and talk about your, you know, initial journey into medicine, uh, becoming a physician, going through undergrad and med school and residency as well. Tell us a little bit about your history, your historic history. <laughs> so um, growing up as a kid, I was a competitive gymnast and I was very much into sports. Uh, I also knew I wanted to pursue a career as a physician early on. Uh, so I chose to do my undergraduate in exercise and health physiology. And the information I learned is invaluable. We learn stuff that we don't necessarily learn as, a, as physicians, specifically with regards to nutrition and optimizing your exercise. And I still use a lot of that information today uh, in terms of guiding my patients and even in terms of optimizing my own health. Um, thereafter, as you mentioned, um, I uh, actually, I'm a, you didn't mention this, I'm a non-traditional student. And I think a lot of people who are in your audience who are non-traditional students might find some encouragement from my story. It actually took me some time. I think it was about six years of undergrad before I got into med school. Um, so after I finished my degree in exercise and health physiology, I started a degree in health studies focused on indigenous or first nations health in Canada. Um, there are unfortunately a lot of health disparities for our indigenous population. And um, it's very important to be aware if you're gonna be somebody who's on the healthcare system that there are healthcare disparities, no matter what country you are in for people who are marginalized or oppressed, um, primarily because of systemic racism. And as a healthcare provider, you need to be an advocate for your patients, no matter what their background is. Um, as you mentioned, I went to St. Matthews University. So the first two years were in Cayman Islands. Uh, and then the last two years were in Orlando, primarily through the Florida healthcare system. And I was also fortunate enough to do some rotations in Canada. So I got to see the differences in between the US and the Canadian healthcare system. I think overall, there's a lot of similarities. The main differences I would highlight would just be who the insurance provider is, government um, versus government and multiple players in the US. Um, in terms of my training um, with residency at uh, Sinai in Chicago, uh, Sinai is on the west side, uh, so it serves patients primarily in the south and west sides of the city. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of our patients have many healthcare challenges, many socioeconomic challenges. Um, so it was a, an amazing opportunity. I learned so much from my attendings, um, but also so much from the patients. And I also learned a lot about myself with regards to um, how perhaps naive I was, uh, but it was it was a great experience. And same with my fellowship, 
Um, the fellowship was in partnership with University of Illinois and Jesse Brown VA. So I learned so much from my patients, primarily the veterans. They have so many pearls of wisdom and just like one, one story, I'll be very fast. I had a 90 year old patient right. and just the stories he would tell, I could tell he was like running circles mentally around other people. I'm like 90 <laughs> years of experience. I'm like, right. one, like you talk to him and he talks circles around you very politely, but it takes you like <laughs> hours later. You're like, Oh, that's what he was saying. <laughs> so I'm like, with age comes a lot of wisdom. Um, and then I worked in upstate New York for about uh, three and a half years prior to opening my own practice back in Western Canada. So uh, you have played such a diverse array of roles um, from clinician to what we'll talk about later as a mentor as well. But how did you set up your clinical practice for many of us, uh, you know, trying to reach that next level of that pinnacle of excellence and being independent practitioners? It's something that is commonly avoided when we're in medical school, when we're in pre-meds. They don't teach you about the business side, the negotiation side, the overhead side, the logistics of hiring the appropriate people. So what has that experience been like and how did you you know, navigate that? I love that question. That is a great question. It shows that you're thinking ahead. Um, so, <laughs> the, yeah. Uh, so you're right. You're not taught business skills at all in med school or in residency. Um, so as a student, I'd recommend focusing primarily on what you need to learn. And same with residency. Right. I didn't necessarily really plan out my career or have the intention of working independently. As I said, I worked in upstate New York, but I worked for a hospice company. So that was a great opportunity to learn about the business of medicine, to learn a little bit about the politics of medicine while somebody's holding your hand. So for example, the company I worked with helped us with um, billing, helped us with applying for insurance, helped us with all of our licensure. Um, and I learned about the business aspect of medicine and took notes also learned so much about efficiency. And mm. then when it came time to open my own practice, I actually joined a business school called EntreMD Business School. There's a lady named Dr. Una, if you have time to Google her. Yep. And she really makes it simple because it seems very intimidating and overwhelming, but she's like, you're a physician. You do presentations every day. Like right. one time you talk to a patient, that's one presentation. One note you write, that's the equivalent of a blog article. So she really gives you confidence in terms of knowing I've done hard things, I can do hard things, and even just the practical things of like setting up your, you know, your schedule to make sure you're getting all the revenue generating or important business activities done. So it's a work in progress, to be honest. I've only been in practice for one year, but having a network or people you can rely on to teach you this is what is going to happen. Uh, this is what you need to watch out for is invaluable. So I'd recommend for residents and students, if possible, work for somebody for a little while, take notes, save your money. Don't buy a new car. Don't buy a new house. Don't buy new <laughs> nothing. Just save your money. So if you want to open your own practice, you're going to have like a cushion to do that. Right. And on top of that, if things don't work out, you're not necessarily tied down. You can, you know, move very easily and you can, you know, set yourself up to succeed and know that it is possible. You can do it. They tell us in this world of like corporate medicine, you guys are only one trick ponies. All you can do is take care of patients. That's not true. We save lives and saving life is harder than running a business. Running a business is not easy, but you can run a code. You can run a business. 100%. You know, shout out to Dr. Una. I've had the privilege to meet her and, uh, you know, speak to her and be inspired and encouraged. So I love that she's, uh, you know, one of the people that you, you look up to as well. And she's inspired you to do some amazing things. Um, so uh, 
outside of, you know, obviously your clinical roles, you know, now we venture over into mentorship. And I think in my opinion, mentorship is the most important thing that you need to facilitate success in medicine without, as you mentioned, support, encouragement, the people that surround you, you are equal to the six people you spend the most time with. So if you want to be that physician entrepreneur, if you want to be, you know, that physician that works in the community and health policy, et cetera, et cetera, whatever roles may have you, you need to be, you need to engender yourself to be in those positions. So for you, what is the importance of being a physician mentor and how does that fulfill you as a person? Oh, that is a great question. And I see you've been hanging around wise people because you already know <laughs> yeah. you're the average of the six people you hang out with. That is great. Um, to be honest, if I look back on myself as a resident or a student, I was shy and I shouldn't have been so shy. I wish I wish I reached out more to other mm -hmm. people. Um, but for me now in my position, you know, training the next generation or sharing my knowledge with the next generation, I really find it fulfilling when I teach somebody something and I can see that information I've given them, gives them confidence to go out and take care of a patient or gives them confidence to share what they've learned with another student and to me, that is really powerful because it's like a part of our legacy mm -hmm. and it's a part of ensuring other people have open doors and don't have to struggle as much as we did, we did when we were in that position. So I, I think what you're doing is very wise, looking up to other people. So in the student's position, I would say, don't be shy, ask questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question. And mm -hmm. if somebody makes you feel stupid, find somebody else. Because, right. you know, it means that they're just not your person, but your people are out there, people who are cheering you on, people who want to see you win, people who will open doors for you are there. And the way it happened for me, doors were open for me. So I am so um, grateful, but at the same time, I'm so cognizant of how important it is to open doors for other people. One example is my interview for residency in Chicago. Like I never thought I'd be in Chicago. Like I'm from a small town. <laughs> Yeah. Chicago is like so overwhelming, but because one friend asked for an interview for me and the funny thing is they actually told me, oh, we don't take non-U.S. citizens. So it was like a Hail Mary, but somehow I ended up pre-matching at that program. But if my friend did not yeah. ask for an interview for me, I wouldn't be there and I wouldn't have the trajectory that I have. So because that happened to me, I want to help other people as well. I love that. I love that story, too, because... In the world today, in our society, as adults, we're told that, oh, you, your GPA is too low, your, 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 your USMLE score is too low, or you go to a lower ranked school, you're not going to be able to match in this and that field. No, you will be able to do whatever you put your mind to, and your mind is the most capable possession that you have. And the fact that, you know, obviously you leverage your network but also that you were committed to the fact that you were going to be an internal medicine physician and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You, you know, you boggled down and you made it through and you made it work no matter what anybody had to say. So I, I just want to commend you and celebrate you for that because people don't really recognize that. They just see, oh yeah, you made it. No, behind every physician, there is a story of perseverance and resilience. And I think that we have to continuously highlight that so that people don't over glamorize the field. Yes, you're going to work hard, but also there are beautiful outcomes that come from this work. So Thank for you, uh, no problem. Uh, for you, uh, what are some tips? And I wish I had this, you know, early on because the game is not being given. We we know how it is. You come into the game and you, you move in a certain type of way. But I feel like it's so important when you get into the field of medicine. Medicine is a very conservative and, and, and very stringent kind of culture at this point in time. Maybe it may change in the future. 
but what are some of the most important keys to academic and professional success for medical trainees that you would advise? Um, as a medical student, I think one of the most important things um, I would say, first of all, is be true to yourself. Mm. Uh, looking back on myself, and I think you touched on something, you're right, medicine is very hierarchical and also very conservative, um, but there is also room to be true to yourself despite, you know, fitting into the box. So for example, for me, um, I felt like I had to have like my hair pressed straight and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. So I was struggling in this Florida heat trying to press my hair and the nurses would be like, honey, it's time for, you know, a touch up. I'm like, no, it's just for humidity. <laughs> so I wish I'd had the boldness to wear my hair natural. Um, I don't think it would have made a difference by the time I went to my residency interview, but I think I would have spent less time straightening my hair or something stupid like that. Or even the clothes I selected, I was selecting very boring colors. Okay. Yeah. You know, like Banana Republic, that's cool, but maybe I could have been a little bit, you know, more true to myself rather yeah. than trying to waste so much time and energy to uh, minimize myself. So mm. I, I think if you want to um, have energy and excitement, don't minimize yourself. It's okay to uh, um, know your audience and know, you know, when I can be my, more of myself with these people and I can be uh, quieter and observe, which is okay with these people, but don't minimize yourself because at the end of the day, when you go home, you're the one who has to look yourself in the mirror. And if you do not feel um, like you're being your true self, it ends up breaking you down from the beginning. Yes. And this the beginning of the journey so be true to yourself number one um and number two don't compare yourself to other people and this kind of relates to being true to yourself uh we're taught even from the beginning you're competing against so and so for the best board marks i think we really need to flip our mindset because the real world of medicine is that we're a team um mm -hmm. when you have a patient who is admitted for a heart attack the ER doctors there, they play their role. The ER right. nurse plays their role. Um, the hospitalist who's admitting plays their role. The cardiologist plays their role. The ER doctor doesn't do everything. No, we're a team. So I think if we can start with that mentality, even if everyone around you is competitive, find one or two people and you know do things such as, um, say, uh, splitting the study material. Like one thing I found is that sometimes you get so tired just reading and reading read to each other, take turns and be like, okay, I'm going to review this material and read it to you. So you're still getting that information, but you also have that camaraderie, sorry, camaraderie. Um, and you're hanging out with your friends, but you're still studying. You're still getting your goals accomplished. So have that collaboration mindset. And then the third thing, talking to what you're um, talking about network. Uh, I'm just learning recently the power of networking and the power of making friends. Uh, if you're an introvert or you're a more quiet person, it can be more challenging, but you can network with other introverts. They get you, they'll know like, you know, just because you're not talking, it doesn't mean you're not interested, you're just conserving your energy. And the power of networking is that it can accelerate your process. So yes. for example, um, I'll give you an example as a student. As a med student, um, being like a Caribbean med student, you know about these shelf exams. I didn't know what to study for the shelf exams, but I used to go to a cafe and there was a girl from, I think, um, University of, uh, of Florida. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what we read for the shelf exam. We read this and this. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. and then you buy this shelf exam and you like study on this NBME exam. So by networking, people will tell you, like, just do this. Don't waste so much energy and you'll go so much further. So if you look at it that way um, and also approach networking and how can I also serve you? So it's a win-win situation rather than 
I'm just going to make friends with her so she can tell me, you know, no, you, you could be like, hey, hey, I see you here all the time. Let's study together. Let's meet here tomorrow. I'm going to buy you a coffee. And as you also give of yourself, people will give to you. And over time, like you will create relationships that make the hard times so much easier. So those are the three things. Um, again, uh, be true to yourself. Uh, don't compare yourself and network. Yeah, it's uh, all you got to do is ask, you know, shoot your shot. You know, and put yourself in a position where those opportunities come in front of you and take advantage when they do come. And you've obviously clearly accomplished that. Now, in regards to the world of research, you know, for many medical students and young physicians, uh, it, it is a, a way to you know leverage yourself and learn about uh, what medicine entails outside of the clinical realm, but also a grander way in, in which you can implement medicine. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts on why is research so critically important for medical students and residents and the like? That's an excellent question. And I know when a lot of people hear research, they're like, Ugh, I don't <laughs> want to do that. I have enough work. I have enough pressure on myself. Don't tell me to do anything boring. Um, the thing is, I think you have to start with knowing why do medical schools want you to do research? Why do residency programs want you to do research? And what is the long-term impact on your career? So starting at the med school level, um, when you are applying for residency programs, one of the ACGME requirements is that you're involved in scholarly activity. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that until I was in residency, but what that means is things such as participating in morning report, but the more high caliber thing would be publishing a paper. Yeah. So your residency program has to report to ACGME. Um, these residents participated in XYZ projects and having a published research paper is something very objective and it makes the program look good. So if you can think this is what they want, how can I give them what they want? Yes. So for, as a med student going for an interview, you can say, I have participated in XYZ research project and they will ask you about it on the interview. So pick something you're interested in. It does not have to be like benchmark research, you know, looking at the latest rat DNA, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can pick something that you're interested in. And if you can have like a conversation about it showing that you're interested showing you understand the process then they're already going to say okay this one um we're going to give them more points they've already participated in research and in my case i actually had not published anything by the time i went to residency my first project was actually looking at um i think back pain and say non-nursing caregivers working in nursing homes so that is within the health realm i was able to talk about how we started the project how we collected the data so that shows initiative so they know okay this person is going to take initiative on projects we don't have to like you know push her to get something done and i also had a second project that i started prior to residency but i had not yet published so I brought it forward and actually published it during residency. And my program, my residency program's name is listed there as the institution that supported the research. So that's there forever. And it was actually published in like a high caliber journal, like I think the American Journal of Cardiology. So it makes oh. my residency program look good, even right. though they certainly have the resources to um, or manpower to support that project. But um, another thing, that, another way that I use this is that I had a mentor in residency who was a cardiologist. So I said, hey, can you help me with this? And he was shocked. He was shocked, but so happy because he's like, oh, even my fellows haven't started cardiology projects. You started your own project? <laughs> so for him, he's like, this is the first person that has invited me instead of the first person begging me for a project. So you make your, yeah. So I mean, if you right. think about it. Levels. 
<laughs> you're making your mentor look good. I, right. I didn't cardiology, but I knew if I wanted a letter of recommendation, he will remember me. He will remember emailing me like every other week. He will remember editing my paper and mm -hmm. he will have very objective and specific things to say about me for a letter of recommendation. So you can look at it on multiple levels. Like even as a student, if you publish, your dean has to write a dean's letter. They're going to say this student did X, Y, Z, and they'll be like, this student is different. They took initiative. They did this. That's different. That differentiates you from your other, from other colleagues. And same with residency. Like if you want your program director to write you a letter, they'll say, this resident did XYZ project. And then same with a job. There's two different categories when it comes to actually working in academia, or sorry, as an attending, there's academic jobs and then private practice jobs. If you want an academic job, guess what? Those universities' rankings are partially based on how much research they produce. If you are applying with no research projects and another person, even if they maybe didn't go to the same caliber, you know, uh, residency program as you did, if they have a couple of projects, they'll be like, oh, um, this one is going to make us look good. So they might lean more towards somebody yep. who they know is a sure bet. So if you look at it as in this is what they want, how can I show them that I'm going to be an asset to them? That makes it less painful. And then after that, choose something you're interested in. As I said, my first project was not necessarily medical, but I could talk about it. I could talk about the process intelligently. Uh, so you can bring that. So just go ahead and find something you're interested in. And again, as you're saying, ask, shoot your shot. That's hundred percent of shots you don't take. You know, for me, I think the passion is critical. You know, for me, I I did research on mindfulness and meditation and uh, African Americans with the history of depression, and anxiety, and I've always engaged in meditation and mindfulness. You know, on, on my personal time, so it was a great way to integrate my interest for mental health and also, uh, you know, with a certain thing that I implement in my daily life. So yes, the interest and passion will allow you to even publish even more because I find that many students, they just jump into research and say, like, oh yeah, I just, I need to be published. I need to, like, hold on, sit down, mm -hmm. assess what are your interests and then formulate the network to the appropriate people to get that interest built upon and expanded upon so that you could be successful with the research. Because otherwise you're doing something that you may not necessarily be like or you're hating it. And it's like, bro, what's the point? You're going to be less likely to complete it and stay dedicated and committed to it at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Congratulations. That's very exciting and very like that's awesome that you chose your own project and you're very passionate about it. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. So we've been talking about research and there are different forms of research and a lot of people unfortunately or fortunately don't know but we're going to educate them through the lens of your eyes but can you expand upon the different types of research and knowledge and skills and career benefits associated with each of them okay so there's benchmark research which is something that i have limited knowledge and limited experience on um but the way to get benchmark research which is something that might not necessarily be done on humans but will translate eventually into humans would be say if you happen to be in a, at an academic setting already ask around ask your mentors if they're involved in any projects and then you can get involved in that and in terms of benchmark research a lot of these projects will be um say a part of one of the projects that a big research lab does. Mm -hmm. So uh, in terms of your involvement, it might be difficult to see the project through to um, publication, but you might be saying named one of the people if you participate materially in the project. Um, the research that I'm more familiar with is stuff that is more practical clinically. So if we start at the bottom, it'll be something such as a case report. This is in the house or the under the umbrella of clinical research. So case reports are much easier to find 
it's something that like a case you'd see when you're in the hospital that is extremely rare and say you're attending is like wow i've never seen this before if you hear them say that jump on it be like so what do you think about this why is it unique ask the fellows and then as you do that you can also offer and say hey i want to write a case report on this if you can grab a fellow, they will love you because they're supposed to do research as well and same with the resident. So this is where networking starts. If you want to make friends with that fellow, say they're a cardiology fellow, you wanna be a cardiology fellow? Be like, hey, hey, I'll start the case report on this and then get the attending on board and you can be the person who's leading it and you can be guided in terms of what is unique about it. And your mentors, attending fellow, you know, resident and so forth would tell you, this is where this case report can be published. And same with case series, if it's an, a similar cases that are very unique, that's a little bit higher level evidence than say a case report, because it's not just a one-off or one thing that's unique. It's a couple of cases that are similar that is starting to form a story. And then in addition to that, we have things such as uh, case control studies, retrospective analysis, or prospective analysis. Those are a little bit more involved. And in terms of those cases, you usually need to go through your ethics board. You may or may not uh, need to do that for case reports, um, but you might say if it's prospective, you need to get um, the permission of the subjects, say if it's in a clinical setting, mm -hmm. to use some of their information. It'll be more involved in terms of blinding the information and the process can be a lot longer. But if you have an idea or say your mentor who happens to be an attendee is working on a project, you can jump on those kind of projects. And that's like a little bit higher level than case series. Oftentimes, um, uh, prospective studies are based on things that are seen in case series. Thereafter, we would have randomized controlled trials so the information that is found in, say, the case series or the prospective and retrospective, the evidence level of evidence is stronger. But just because they find something in a randomized controlled trial, it doesn't mean it can be applied to humans right away. A higher level than that would be a meta-analysis where they pool a bunch of uh, um, randomized control trials and they say, okay, we've looked at you know, 10,000 patients over like uh, 50 papers, 50 randomized controlled trials. And this is what they found. And then the interesting thing about what they find in meta-analysis, this is what they use to create clinical guidelines. So you're gonna see these are the guidelines for the treatment of COPD, or these are the guidelines for the treatment of depression. A lot of that information is pulled from meta-analysis. So you can see when you're starting at a case report, over time, people will build up on the information that you have you know, started in that case report or say if it's something that you're passionate about and this is gonna be your career. You might start doing a case report as a resident and keep on the same topic until you know, by the time you're attending, you're doing randomized control trials or meta-analysis and you're pooling data other people have done on similar studies and then you are making the guidelines. So that's how this thing kind of goes, you know, from the beginning up until the end and we're applying it to patients. And then another type of clinical research that's very practical are quality improvement projects. So for example, if you work in a hospital and I'll say use the topic of depression because you mentioned it. So say if we're gonna Thank look you. at, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 there's so much research to be done, but say if we're gonna look at um, triage times for patients who come in with uh, suicidal ideation, um, they'd be noticing your hospital oh man like patients are waiting a long time to be admitted to the inpatient psych unit I want to do as an attending like I want to do an, a project to improve our wait times for patients that come in with suicidal ideation so you pull the data and then you could say compare uh, data at other hospitals or national guidelines 
And then you compare what's happening in your hospital compared to the guidelines you recommend or the national guidelines. And then you can say, these are some things we're gonna implement. That would be say your uh, summary. Things we're gonna implement to improve the quality of care for individuals that come in with say suicidal ideation. And then you can publish it. There's certain journals that allow you to publish uh, quality improvement reports alone. Yeah, so there's there's so much work to be done and so many ideas and you can make such a big difference no mm-hmm. matter what your level of interest is, no matter what type of research you're interested in. You're bringing me back to the statistic days and I was like retrospective, prospective, all of these equations were coming into my mind because it was you know very comprehensive and I, I definitely do appreciate that. What would you say to students who may not feel inspired to pursue academic research or feel like research is for them? I think, again, going back to what I say, be true to yourself. If it's really not something you're interested in and you can't find a topic you're interested in, that's okay. I think everyone has something to give. So for example, you might be somebody who is more into the arts. Say if you have a gift for painting or for photography, go ahead and pursue that. Be true to yourself. And go ahead and talk about the projects you're interested in. As physicians, especially as med students, we feel like, oh, I have to be all about medicine. I can't, you know, other interests. Say if you're you're into music, you know? No, don't force yourself to do research if you can't find something. Maybe you can eventually do a research project on the effects of um, music on mood. And then you can, you know, as you work as an attending, you can like bring some project where they bring music into the inpatient psych unit and you Mm -hmm. see how it improves people's mood. Okay, but I mean, don't don't force it if it's not there. Do what you know really fits with you, and don't be shy about talking about what really interests you. So I think it's okay. Be true to yourself, and yeah, you know, just enjoy yourself. Don't force yourself to be somebody you're not. Thanks for the idea. I'm gonna definitely use that music one. If if there's no other ones out there, I'm definitely using the music. I'm gonna see what Tupac does to them versus Beethoven, sixty nine. You know. <laughs> And we'll see what goes on. (laughs) But um, I think one of the, you know, um, important things, um, especially if you're at a small institution like mine's, is finding the opportunity to get into research. How do you recommend medical trainees go about identifying their interests, projects, and or finding research mentors? I think be curious. Um, Be curious and ask people. Sometimes you think something is like so unique and it's not. And don't be shy to ask an attending, like be, be straight and say like, do you think this can make a case report? Mm. And if they tell you no, that's okay. Just keep asking, keep asking. And then they might catch up and be like, oh, this person wants to publish and they might actually give you a case report just because they noticed your interest. Mm. And I, another thing I remember is always feeling like so dejected if somebody says no, don't take it personally, maybe gamify it. So you can say, I have a three month window to get a project done. I'm gonna do two asks per day. Um, whether the ask is asking a resident and asking Mm. an attending or asking a fellow or emailing somebody and then just like give yourself a reward if you hit like a certain benchmark so that that way you're not disappointed by not getting what you want and the more you ask the more likely you are to hit your answer but yeah there's other ways of doing it and just don't take it personally do you have any parting words of wisdom or encouragement for our, our listeners That's a great question. (laughs) I think the best thing is go back to the basics. The things our moms and our grandmas told us that we're like, oh, why are you saying that? What I mean by that is take care of yourself. Mm. Make sure you get enough sleep. 
I was one of those people who actually got, I think, probably a decent amount of sleep during med school, and it helps with retention of what you have learned. Right. Um, things I wish I did better. I wish I ate better. Um, I would just like bribe. You know how they tell you, put the granola bar in your bag. You know, right. You're not going to get <laughs> yeah uh, i wish i'd done something like take a protein shake like there's something that's more nutritious so you can say like get like protein powder put a little bit of like milk in there and then carry a little water bottle so i wish i um, built better eating habits early on it's only now that i'm an attending and mm -hmm. like been attending for like three years that i'm like okay, I need to go back to the basics and take better care of myself. But I would have uh, probably performed better if I was eating more frequent meals and taking better care of myself with regards to my meals. And another thing that I felt limited me was um, finances. Even as a resident and fellow, I, yeah. I, I could have done better. I was like, you know, going to winners and buying coach shoes. And, you know, I, I'm like, I didn't need those. I didn't need like five pairs of coach <laughs> shoes. I could do with one pair of coach shoes and I should have spent the money on like vegetables instead of granola bars, you know? <laughs> so those small things, like really invest in your nutrition, um, even if it costs you a little bit more money, like it'll pay dividends in terms of the quality of your health and the quality of the habits you have. And then the last one I'd say is exercise. It sounds so cliche and you're like, I don't have time to exercise. I, I just need to study. There's ways yeah. to be for exercise. There's what are called HIIT workout, high interval intensity training workouts. You can find a workout video on YouTube. You don't even have to spend money. You do not have to leave your place do a hit workout for 15 minutes and then get back to studying. So it actually improves circulation to your brain. You will sleep better. It will reduce your stress levels. It improves your mood. You will recall better. So just try to do some kind of workout, like minimum three days per week. If you can fit like a small workout in five days per week, if you're studying, um, get audio, some kind of audio thing to listen to and walk and walk yeah. while you're you know listening. So you're getting your studying in. You're getting lots of circulation to your brain and, you know, you're also taking care of your body. So the basics, again, sleep well, eat well, exercise, and that will carry you very far. In med school, you know, I would uh, jog in place so I could get 10,000 steps and I would say my lectures out loud. And I would always want to get above 10,000 because I was always in competition with other people, even outside of medicine. So that was like, I saw my grade just once I started doing it and I saw my weight go right down, you know, because <laughs> you know how it is, that freshman 25 turned to 50 <laughs> in medical school, it doubled. So, but we made that work, but I agree. And then getting to sleep, sleep hygiene is so important for consolidation <laughs> of thought and everything going on. So there's so many little things that we discredit, you know, in this process of medicine, but we tell our patients these same things, but we <laughs> don't necessarily do those things to ourselves, right? Going to therapy, you know, taking a walk, meditating, exercising, eating really well because if 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 what you're ingesting is negative then your mind is going to be negative and you won't be able to you know accomplish your goals at the end of the day absolutely absolutely i love that i wish i i, I wish i could like rewind myself back in time and be your friend and be like okay <laughs> doing this stuff thing, i should do that too like i you know it's nice to have people doing that because you also influence yeah. the people around you to be more healthy yeah, you know how it is, Podcast University, as Dr. Una says, you you got to be mobile and, uh, you know, take advantage. So that's what I do when I walk and those things. But uh, awesome. unfortunately, we, you know, you were laying down some great knowledge and I love, you know, your passion about research. I love the fact that, you know, you really, you know, you've implemented so, so many critical things as a physician that many people need to do uh, going through this field. And it's exciting to see you on the other side, uh, creating this excellence in your community in Canada and also 
you know, reaching out to your patients and, and the like. Uh, but before we go, we would love for you to lay down a law on how people can get in touch with you, where they can find you in all platforms. I hope you got it ready. Yeah, I got, hope y'all got it ready. Got your pen <laughs> and paper ready, audience. Well, LinkedIn, it's Anita Luanga, L-W-A-N-G-A. On YouTube, I'm not as active there, but it's Dr. Luanga, all small letters. You can um, just type it in and you'll find my videos and you can message me. Um, I'm more active on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Luanga MD. I'm also on Twitter. I think that is Luanga MD. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not on Twitter that much either. Um, right. Those are main platforms. And I think TikTok, I have not been as active. That <laughs> to be continued, dot, dot, dot. We will see. Um, but I'm also Dr. Luanga on Twitter. So IG will probably be the best way. But for whatever level you're at, med student, pre-med, um, early career attending, fellow, if you have any questions, reach out to me and I'm willing to share my knowledge. Definitely. Thank you again for coming on. Make sure y'all reach out to her. She got gems, tools, and tips for you to be an incredible physician, mentor, researcher, whatever the case may be. If you're aspiring for the top of the top, make sure you reach out to her because, again, you are who you surround yourself with. So we appreciate you. We are grateful for you to be here, and I'm excited to see adventures that you continue to embrace in your future. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm so excited for your future as well. Please keep in touch. Definitely. Definitely.